Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In today's episode, we're going to do a little bit different direction and walk through as much detail as I think and hope is valuable for how it is I got my supermoon shot here in November 2016. Now, while it's not a shot I'd say is my best, not even my best for this year in 2016, it was one that seemed to get noticed over a flood of supermoon shots that hit social media, and I had a lot of people ask me questions about it, so I thought I'd make a photo taco episode to dive into the details. If you're not driving, then it might be helpful to go over to improvephotography.com slash PTSM. That's like photo taco super moon PTSM. And you can take a look at the image and follow along kind of with what it is. So first off, let's go back to what has turned out to be a pretty common theme on photo taco. As a photographer, you often have to choose between time and money. You can spend less money on your gear knowing that you'll have to invest more time into getting the shot you want if it's possible. Sometimes it's not. Or you can invest far more heavily in gear and pretty dramatically reduce the time that you spend to get a good shot. Now that couldn't be more true here with this shot where I used relatively inexpensive gear and spent quite a bit of time post-processing. I think that's why there was interest in hearing more detail about how I got this shot though. As many of you listening, I believe are kind of in that same situation. So to start off with, let's talk about the vision I had for the shot. My best shots always start off that way. I'm sure you've heard many photography instructors say that in order to get good results, you need to have something in mind you're working to create. You need to have a vision, a goal, an objective, something that you intend to go and do with your photography. I specifically use the word create there because that's something I've heard many times as if I listened to great photography teachers and I couldn't agree more with that, that good shots don't often happen as a result of capturing a scene. Good shots come from creating a scene. That's far easier to do in in studio than it is out in nature where you can't actually control nature. And of course, it is completely off limits when you're talking about something like photojournalism where your entire job is to do no more than capture the scene. But I've had much better results when I have a specific thing in mind as I go out to get a good shot than in getting lucky and having something magical happen with no vision. That's not, don't make mistakes. Don't mistake me for meaning it's impossible to get an amazing shot if you don't have something in mind, because you can. You can get lucky. You can have something magical happen. And that's probably more of what's happened to me in the past than it has recently. I feel like recently I've been able to take more control over my photography, get better shots, because I have vision. And when I first started, that was something I I didn't understand what to do. And it came just only by experience, being able to know how I can have vision, what's even possible, how do I even approach this stuff, came with experience on what I was doing. Now, if you think about it, that's the very thing that distinguishes your shot from a snapshot that anyone could take, right? A, A good shot is one that not just everyone could walk up and snap. Those are the images that really amaze and intrigue us. The ones that took more effort, more work, 
uh, more technical know-how than some it would take to go walk up with your cell phone and snap the photo. Now, this isn't the first moon photo I've taken. It isn't, isn't even the first super moon photo I've taken. Seems like my son teased that it seems like super moons happening like every few months. But, but uh, in fact, shooting the moon tends to be one of the first real night landscape style photos a photographer tries to get. So my first goal with this shot, as I was thinking about what I wanted to create, was to make it be different from all of the others that people would see. And I knew there would be a lot. And this became even more important as all the media outlets, even those that really have nothing to do with photography, they were running stories about how this supermoon was going to be the um, superiest, <laughs> the biggest we've seen in a long time. If you don't know what supermoon is, if you're listening to this, and you're not sure what that is. It just means that it uh, it's an astrological event that coincides with this, the moon, kind of being the closest it gets to the earth in our area and so therefore looks bigger and they call it a supermoon. Um, all right, every photographer out there was going to try to ha their hand at shooting the supermoon this year and I needed to create something that would stand out as people were like scrolling through their feeds of moonshot after moonshot and like notice mine. So as I already mentioned, I've shot the moon quite a bit over the past five years since I really got into being a serious hobbyist photographer. Almost without exception, it was a shot as tight as I could get of just the moon, attempting to capture the detail of the craters. And to be honest, I had yet to actually capture a shot that I was happy with of just the moon. Everything I'd done to this point had been pretty soft on the details of the moon. Those craters and all the detail that's there in the moon I didn't really have a capture yet. Now, I'd done it enough to know it wasn't my technique that was the problem. The problem was the longest lens I own is the Canon EFS 55-250 to f3.5-5.6 kit lens. Now, if you don't know what all those numbers mean, it's, it's a kit lens. That means it came with my camera, and it simply isn't all that sharp, especially at the extremes, like at 250 millimeters, the very longest focal length that lens goes to, it suffers from some pretty serious softness in the image. And it won't, wouldn't matter what my technique was, it's something that I couldn't overcome. Now, I could have solved this problem by renting a sharper and longer lens, something like, say, the Sigma 150 to 600 millimeter f5 to 6.3 sport lens that I have my eye on. I'd really, really love to get that lens. But I was confident that, and while I, so I was confident that would resolve my problem. But that shot of just the moon all by itself would not help me reach my goal of having it be different and stand out as a single grain of sand in the dune of supermoon photos that was headed for social media. So I knew I wanted to make sure I had an interesting foreground in my shot this time and that the moon needed to be prominently placed, but it needed to be properly scaled. I didn't want to have it be like overly supermoon in the scene. And I wanted the other parts of the scene to be equally beautiful, something kind of impressive to see. And as I thought about where to go for this interesting foreground, since I needed that now, uh, the first place that always comes to mind will be the uh, deck at the back of my house. <laughs> it leapt to mind because it would be super easy to do. It's right there in my house. I'm fortunate enough to have a stunning view of this powerful and rugged, rugged rocky mountains right from my backyard. So it'd be pretty easy to grab the camera, stick it on the tripod, get there on the deck, monitor the progress of the moon rising, and then just as it showed signs of coming up, I fire away. 
I decided the problem with that is that it wouldn't quite meet the full vision of what I had for this shot because I wouldn't really have the full foreground I wanted. I wanted to have more depth to my photo than just mountains and moon, which I could have done from my back porch. I wanted something more than that. So the other thing I had to do was before picking a spot, I had to consider uh, having enough time to get to the spot. The super moon was most super on Monday evening and I work a nine to five job. That meant I was gonna be at the office nine to five on Monday. So I had to consider my commute home or instead of commuting home, going maybe to a spot and waiting for the moon to rise there. I had to figure out when the moon was gonna rise up over those Rocky Mountains so that I could figure out where I wanted to be and how reasonable it was that I could get there given the day job. So I got on my iPhone and I used the PhotoPills app to do that. I took a look. It's, it's got a really great virtual reality mode where, where you can kind of see the predicted path of the moon overlaid in like this semi-transparent layer over the real scene that the camera from the iPhone sees in front of you. So you can kind of move the phone around and see where it is that I, the PhotoPills app is going to predict that the moon's going to be there. And you can kind of tell when it will predict that it's going to rise over the top of the peaks of the mountains. The app said about 5.40 p.m., well, that's going to cut it pretty close for my being able to get there. So I'd have to leave work, I don't know, about 15, 20 minutes early. I could drive home, and then I thought, you know, there's this bridge near my house, really, really close by. It's only about a minute away from my house drive time. And if I, if I ran home and I got to that bridge, that would have the foreground I wanted. Have this the, the bridge, then the mountain, and then the sky and the moon right there, this, this depth to the photo. That's what I was searching for. So I decided, okay, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to head there. So with the location decided, now I had to think through the technical aspects of how I was going to get the shot. The first challenge I thought through was that if the PhotoPills app was right, by the time the moon actually rose over the mountain peaks, it might be pretty dark. And therefore my foreground might be really, really dark <laughs> and be a problem. I wanted to get kind of a blue hour feeling for this photo, not one that's like pitch dark. I, I wasn't interested in having like the, the mountain peak be uh, very pronounced, but mostly black and then a nice sky in the moon. I wanted more detail and brightness in the photo, something that is dusk and blue hour, but not dark. So I was a little worried. The sun was supposed to, the sunset was supposed to be at about 510 that day. And with the moon rising at 540, ooh, that might be pretty dark. Really late in that blue hour, it might be pretty dark. So I wanted to get kind of, I would have liked to get everything in a single shot, but the timing didn't feel to me like it was going to work out, which means I was going to have to take two separate shots and blend them together. With the dynamic range of my Canon 7D Mark II camera, which is kind of limited, and having to try to take pictures of the moon with a foreground before, I knew I would probably have to blend two shots together. Even if the timing had worked out, I would have blown out the moon and that just wouldn't have worked. I would have had to do two shots to get some detail into the moon. So this is gonna require a composite where I was gonna take a good photo of the moon all by itself and then put that moon into the foreground scene that I was gonna take that night. Now, I'm sure many of you are thinking, that's cheating. If this was photojournalism, it would be completely unacceptable. But this is my creation here, remember? This is my vision. This is the shot I'm trying to create. It's how I had pictured it in my mind. 
And for me, there's no rules about how I go about realizing that vision. Anything's fair game and open, including going back into other photos if I needed to, to pull out maybe a, a different foreground scene if that didn't work out or a different moonshot if that didn't work out. I had this vision of what I wanted to create. I want to get the vision from photos that I took that night. That would have been good, but there's no rules. I can do whatever I want. And technically it's kind of, it was going to be impossible to do it differently, which I'll, I'll talk about in just a second. All right. So thanks to my thinking through things and the photo pills app, I knew 24 hours before I even stood on that bridge that my photos needed, we're going to have the foreground in one shot and the moon in a different shot. So my next thing to work on was deciding which lens to use. I wanted the mountain to be as rugged and powerful in the photo as possible, which means wide angle was really kind of out. Now I love to shoot wide, wide angle shots. I, I use it with landscape photos a lot, especially the, uh, the night astro photos, but the 11 to 18 millimeter focal length, even on my crop sensor camera, it turns mountains into molehills. So I knew those were out. I wanted the powerful, big, grand mountains. So the next lens I could think of was I could use my Tokina 24 to 70 f 2.8 lens, and I could go to the 70 millimeters and capture the foreground. And that would give me some flexibility to go a little wider than that, like go down to 50 millimeters if I needed to, in order to get kind of the, the image that I wanted. Since 70 millimeters is more like, you know, about 112 millimeters would be on a full frame. That would produce the best foreground for me because it is my sharpest lens at that focal length but that wouldn't produce what I wanted with the moon shot. Since I was gonna composite the moon into the foreground shot, I wanted to get as clean and sharp a shot of the moon as I could. Therefore, I needed to use the longest lens I had. And as I said already, this is the Canon 50 to 250 f3.5 to 5.6 kit lens. That's the longest lens that I currently own. And even though I decided I was going to composite the moon in, I was hoping that the light would work out so that I could take a shot of the foreground and then like the next shot, get the moon. And if that actually worked out, then I might not have time to switch lenses. So my plan from 24 hours before I even went out on the bridge was that I was going to take only my kit lens. I sh probably should have taken my others just in case. And in hindsight, this was a mistake. And I should have taken that 24 to 70 with me too. I would have ended up with a slightly better foreground shot, I think, had I done that. But let's move on to what else was next. So with the location decided and the lens decided, now I had to consider a challenge I wouldn't normally have to worry about. And this is just another mistake that was made, had nothing to do with the shoot even. Using a tripod wasn't an option for me on this shot. <laughs> Somehow, I'd managed to misplace the only plate that matches my enduro tripod that I have. I couldn't find it anywhere. I'd looked for days trying to find it as I was trying to do other shoots, so I couldn't actually attach my camera to my tripod. That means I had to shoot these handheld. I hadn't found them yet. I didn't think I'd find them in the next 24 hours, and I didn't. So with the moon, that wouldn't be too serious a problem. The moon is, you know, a full moon is actually pretty bright and shooting an exposure that is too long or too wide open. That's the mistake many photographers make when trying to capture the detail. It just ends up blown out or blurry. And it's just, you, you can easily get a fast shutter speed enough that shooting handheld is not going to be the reason that it's soft. 
I knew shooting handheld would be fine there. It was shooting the foreground I was starting to get a little nervous about. Remember, I wanted a blue hour shot. I wanted to have as much of the foreground in focus as I could. So I needed to stop down my aperture to probably about f8 with the shutter speed needing to be about 1 50th of a second at probably the very slowest. That would mean that I'd have to increase my ISO. What would have been much better situation to use the tripod, but I thought I could probably get what I wanted at about ISO 800 or so, which for me is perfectly acceptable with the Canon 7D Mark II at, at ISO 800. So hopefully you're finding the detail that I'm going through to be helpful here. But before I finish the story, I need to thank the sponsor for this episode, which is the Improved Photography Black Friday Lightroom Preset Still. Jim and the other hosts of the podcast on the Improved Photography Network have spent all year from November to November working on presets for Lightroom. Presets that vary greatly so that you can use them to shake things up with your post-processing. Take a look with a simple rollover of the mouse of the presets and, and you might be able to even save a photo that you thought had no life. Give you some ideas about something that you could do with the photo that you might never have done because you just don't go that crazy with the sliders like are in the presets. So they're really, really helpful, really powerful. I use them frequently. Jim sells the package on Black Friday weekend here in the U.S., for a ridiculously low price. And this year he's including a bonus, which is some video training he's calling block composition that would be worth the price of the package all by itself. You're not gonna wanna miss this deal. Different from previous years though, he's only going to sell this preset package on Black Friday weekend. He's not going to bring the sell back around a few months later like he has in the past. It's gonna be this time, one and done on Black Friday weekend. So make sure you take a look at improvephotography.com to see when the deals open up and don't hesitate to purchase that package. You're gonna want it, you're gonna regret it if you don't buy it. So there you go. That's, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode. Okay, so let's finish up this how I got the shot. I rushed home that Monday night from the day job and went down to the bridge. Got to the bridge at about 5.30, which was good because 5.40, remember, was when PhotoPills predicted that the moon was gonna come up over the peaks. The scene was what I was hoping for, but it was already pretty dark at 5.30. Doing some metering on the sky, I could see I was already gonna need a, um, ISO 800 to capture the blue hour foreground. But I wanted to wait to see if I could get the moon in the shot. And I waited for 10 minutes to 5.40. There was no sign of the moon, but boy, the skies, they turned to this beautiful pink and blue color. There weren't even clouds there to do that. It was just kind of the atmosphere at the sunset and how it looked. It does this occasionally in my area here, just this beautiful pink and blue hues that are part of the blue hour. It was the perfect blue hour shot I was hoping for. The light had already changed in that 10 minutes enough that I had to bump the ISO all the way up to 1600, which is not ideal on my Canon 7D Mark II, but I thought I could probably work with it. I took a bunch of frames with the bridge in the mountains exactly like I wanted them at 65 millimeters on my that Canon kit lens with settings of f8, 1 60th of a second shutter, and ISO 1600. I also decided to set the white balance to shadow, something I rarely do. I usually leave that in white balance, but with this being a blue hour scene, I thought that would be good. And I knew I could change it however I wanted in post because I'm shooting raw. Shooting handheld, just to make sure I got one that was at least 
sharp, <laughs> I put the camera drive into drive mode into high speed continuous and held the shutter down, button down for about 10 frames or so. Then I quickly changed the camera to portrait orientation. So I took those, the first, those 10 frames in landscape, figuring I'd get at least one of those would work. Then I very quickly went to portrait orientation and I zoomed to about 120 millimeters on the lens. And I took 14 sweeping shots from left to right to make up a panorama of the scene so that I could use those if I decided to. If that happened to work out, maybe I'd check that out, see if adding the moon to that panorama was gonna be what I wanted to do. I was in a massive rush because I felt like I was rushing against time. Photopills had predicted that moon was coming and based on previous experience, I knew that if I didn't focus on capturing the moon, it would be up over the mountain and away from what I wanted. I wanted to kind of have the it just on the peak of the mountain, 90% raised or so. And if I, if I didn't focus on that, if I was still worrying about this foreground shot, I would miss that. It just rises really fast. I've seen that in the past. So after rushing to take those shots, I stopped and I just watched the tops of the mountains, looking for signs of the moon coming, some kind of background lighting coming up over the peaks of the mountains. It was 545, nothing. No sign of the moon. 550, nothing. Six o'clock, nothing. No sign of the moon. And the wind at this point was starting to make me pretty cold. I thought it would be like a really fast shoot. I had a jacket on, I had gloves on, hat on, but man, the wind on the bridge, if you've been on a bridge, there's a lot of wind. It was getting kind of cold. And then my wife called and she says, dinner's on the table. It's hot and ready for us. Oh, okay. There's no sign of the moon. It's not coming. I'm going to race home. So I, I jumped in the car. I raced the one minute back home. And I got home at about 6.10, still nothing. No sign of the moon, no sign of uh, any brightness coming up over a peak. Finally, at about 6.15, a bright glow started to appear over the top of the mountain. I could see that from inside the house. I raced out to the deck. As soon as I saw that, my camera was already ready to go. had all the settings dialed in. And it was completely dark. Blue hour was long over. So I'm glad that I had kind of thought through that and was prepared to make the most of it. I hope I would have realized that while I was shooting and, and done this as well, but I expected it and it, it's kind of fun to have it kind of work out the way that I expected it and how I planned it out. So I got out there on the back deck, I zoomed to 250 and I dialed in shutter speed while well, it was already there, I dialed, but I had the settings of F8, 1 60th of a second and ISO 400. Took a couple shots as the moon was maybe about 25% over the peak. Chimped on the LCD screen, zoomed in, take a look on the LCD screen, and I was pretty easy to tell my ISO was a little too high. It was blown out on the details more than I wanted. So I dialed back the ISO to 200, snapped a few more, and by 6.17 p.m., the moon was already halfway up over the mountain. I quickly chimped again back on the LCD and uh, looked in the zoom of the moon. It looked good there. So now I could just focus on getting the shot I wanted. I went back to shooting. 6.18 p.m., the moon was right where I wanted it, about 90% risen over the peaks of the mountains. It went up that fast. It was that quick a rise over the peaks. And with the drive mode still in continuous high speed, I snapped off about 20 frames, knowing that I was gonna take the sharpest of the frames and blend them together using some post-processing software that I'll talk about in a second. Feeling confident I had the shot, the next thing I needed was a reference frame to use to composite the moon into the shot 
from the bridge. So I cranked up the ISO to 3200, opened up the aperture to 5.6, the best I could do on that Canon kit lens, and snapped a few frames with the moon completely blown out, but enough of the foreground that I could make out kind of where it was and what the relative size of the moon was to the mountain. Now for the post-processing. I processed the foreground image first, and it, it was easy to pick which of the foreground shots I wanted. I looked at the panel frames I took, but uh, without a tripod, there were a couple of the frames that had some enough blur in it. I decided, yeah, I'm not gonna try to use the panel frames. So I was really glad that I'd snapped off like 10 of those blue hour frames composed like I wanted. I found one that looked about the sharpest to me and had the best color. I increased, so I, I loaded that in Lightroom. I uh, took Clarity Slider to plus 26, took the Vibrant Slider, and this is in the basic panel, to Vibrance 37, plus 37, and I reduced the blacks to minus 10. Normally I play around with the saturation and luminance in the HSL panel, but the pink and the blue colors that got in the sky there were pretty strong naturally. So I skipped over to the detail panel. I increased sharpening to 55. So the edges of the, the masking, sorry, sharpening masking to 55 so that the edges of the bridge and the mountains would be emphasized. And the noise that was in the sky due to shooting at ISO 1600 would be like de-emphasized. The sharpening wouldn't be applied to most of the sky. Then I upped the sharpening to 67. I moved the luminance noise reduction slider to 15 and I left everything else default. Then I grabbed an adjustment brush and with auto mask on, I painted the entire sky, letting Lightroom figure out where the edges were on the mountain peaks so that the brush would only be applied to the sky. And I dialed in minus 90 on the sharpness, 100 on noise reduction and increased saturation to 48. And finally, I went down to the lens corrections panel and checked the boxes for removing chromatic aberration and enabling profile corrections for my Canon lens. I was happy with these adjustments. It looked pretty good. It was really kind of almost exactly what I was hoping for. And then I moved on to the moon shot. Now, I took 17 frames of the moon at the same spot it was, about 90% over the peak of the mountain. The first thing I needed to do was fix the white balance the camera was still set for shadow. And so when I took the moon shot, it looked very, very yellow, unnaturally yellow. So I took the temperature from 6,800 all the way down to 3,100. And then I added about 10 of magenta using the tint slider. Moved the white slider to plus 30 to make the white stand out a little better. I liked how that was over highlights. You can try both. You just kind of need to have whichever one you prefer. It's gonna be different per image. Then I took the blacks down to 95, minus 95 because it was the detail of the moon I was after and not any of the surrounding area. Took the clarity slider to plus 35, which was about as high as I felt I could take it before it started looking really unnatural. Skipped down to the detail panel and dialed in sharpening masking of 17 and sharp amount of 60. Then I applied lens correction again. Still looking at the final result, the details of the moon were very soft just as soft as they'd been in previous attempts with this kit lens, across 17 frames. You'd think if it was possible to get it sharper in one of those 17 frames, I would have had it. I mean, after all, I'm not even jamming the shutter button down, I'm holding it down. So in, across those 17 frames, one of them would be sharper and they were all about the same. A couple of them were a little bit softer and I just didn't even use them. 
But the good thing I, I knew here was I was going to take on those sharpest of those frames and use some software that was recommended by my friend Tony Northrup to use multiple frames and create a single image out of them that was much sharper. So I'll put a link into a little uh, YouTube video that Tony put out that kind of talked about this and he shared the day of the supermoon, um, knowing that a lot of people would be interested in that kind of post-processing thing. The software used that, and that he recommended was, it's for Windows only, unfortunately. It's called Registax, R-E-G-I-S-T-A-X. I'll put a link in the show notes to that one too. It is at version 6.1.0.8. <laughs> as I used it here in November 2016. It's free and that's good because it actually fails a lot. It, it crashes or just doesn't work right a lot and across a lot of attempts. So I first tried exporting about, I think it was 14 of the frames that I liked or were as sharp as I could get them to TIFF format and loaded them up in the software and I got an out of memory error. Even though I have 32 gig of RAM in my custom built PC and I wasn't even using half of it, um, yeah, out of memory from the software. So I tried 10 frames instead of the 15, out of memory. I tried five frames, out of memory. All right, so I went back to Lightroom, cropped the frame down to be as tight on the moon as I could get it, and I exported to JPEG instead of TIFF so that I could decrease the file size on the hard drive of what they were. I fed in 10 frames that looked sharpest to me, and I was able to get them to load without any error. Ran through the simple button clicking process. It kind of just walks you through. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about how to use it unless you all want to hear that, and then I can go into painstaking detail in another Photo Taco episode. But I went through it, and it finally gets you to a point where you have some sliders. So what it was doing before that was kind of aligning the images, doing some analysis about kind of the points on the moon that were the same between them. And uh, and then you end up with some sliders. I had no idea, of course, what the sliders would do. I'd never used the software before, so I just played around with them. I just um, you know, changed them. And this took a long time because you'd, you'd change the slider and then you had to hit a whole separate button in order to have the entire image kind of processed according to this, the way you just changed the slider. It doesn't even do really a real time. It has kind of a preview result, but you can't really see the changes that you made until you hit this other button that says process the whole photo. So you'd change it, have to hit the button, wait, change it, have to hit the button, wait. It was, it took a long time saving. So again, the choice between time and money. Finally got it to a spot where I felt like it was definitely much, much sharper than I could get with my lens, but uh, maybe even a little over the top actually. Uh, so then I exported that to TIFF. And now came the easiest part of the whole process. Loaded up my foreground shot, my moon shot, and that last reference shot, remember I took, that was really high ISO. I loaded those three shots up into Photoshop as layers in Photoshop's. Then I put the detailed image of the moon in the spot it should be and the size it should be using that reference shot. Then I hid the reference shot because I don't want that in the photo. It was really ugly. And I made very minor adjustments to the position of the moon over the top of the good blue hour foreground image. It just kind of fit perfect right in where it needed to go with the peak, the detail of the peak that was rising over the top of. I tried changing the moon layer to screen 
That's the, the mode of the layer. I tried changing that to screen because that had been recommended by others and I've used that in the past, but that really made it fade too much into the background. And I wanted it to kind of stick out more than that. That's how it looked to my eye as I was there in person. And so I wanted it to stick out more than that. So I left it at normal. Still, the composition looked a little unnatural to me. Like the you could tell it was composited in. It looked a little bit unnatural, this bright, bold moon rising right over there over the mountain that's a lot darker background. So I saved that the, the TIFF image from Photoshop and I went back into Lightroom and I added a radial filter where the center of the filter was on in the center of the moon and then the, the outer edge of the filter was expanded uh, beyond the moon about three times the size of the moon. And I played around with the sliders until it added just a little bit of brightness halo around the moon, like should have been there if the moon was actually in that spot where I took the foreground shot. The settings I landed on were exposure 0.63, saturation 27, sharpness minus 47, and noise 73 with a feather of 70. Then I used the brush tool of the radio filter to erase everywhere it was being applied to the mountain as the moon rising up over the mountain wouldn't have cast that much light on the front part of the mountain. And that was it. I was happy. It looked pretty natural to me. I exported the image to JPEG, setting the quality settings to 77% and having the long edge set to 2048 pixels since I was going to share this on social media. And I applied my logo to the lower right of the image and then went out and shared it. I also exported another version of the image at 77% quality on JPEG with no long edge restriction and without my logo and uploaded it to my Zenfolio site, which you can check out at jsharmanphotos.com. All right, so that's how I got the shot. That's what I went through to get that shot. I hope it was helpful. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear any questions you might have. The cool thing is, it just shows that you can still get really nice shots even with a kit lens. It's not the sharpest lens in the world. In fact, it would have been much, much easier if I had had a sharper lens to shoot with. But it's possible. You can get fun stuff to go there. Now, quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash phototaco, through Instagram by messaging at phototacopodcast, or through email where the address is phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer, and I often don't, then I'll either research the heck out of it or I'll go find an expert guest that I can bring on the show and we'll walk through it. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. There's Portrait Sessions, Tripod, and Improved Photography that you need to check out. It's Portrait Session. I need to remember that. Session, not sessions. Also take some time to head over to the mothership, improvephotography.com, for news, gear, and other photo tip articles. It is the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!